y bienvenido a nuestro podcast llamado Rough Draft Podcast Show. Hoy vamos a hablar sobre una escritora y poeta cubana quien es muy famosa. Hey, can, can we chill a little bit? Don't follow the Spanish, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm just, I was really excited. Right, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, so, uh... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to our podcast called Rough Draft Podcast Show. Today, we are going to be talking about a very famous Cuban poet, writer, Nancy Morejon. Oh, what a last name. So this episode, we had our our Liz. Our Liz. <laughs> Liz um, Dawson. Team member of the Rough Draft Podcast Show. Vital team member. Previously heard on episode two. Dos. Which you can check out on iTunes. Please do. So, Liz sat down with Nancy, and Senora Morejon gave her the rundown. Yes, and translation, her unique views on feminism, and where writers fall, and advocacy, and all of those important issues that we all care about deeply. Things that are far more intelligent than we are currently. Yeah. So, we're just going to go let you listen to it. One more thing, before we set you on your way, this did happen in a diner, so it's clink, a bunch clink, of clink. clinking and clacking and fancy music, because it was a real ritzy place, well, Diners. as ritzy as York gets. Got it, got it. What was it called? The hotel or something? I don't know. Yorktown Hotel? Yorktown Hotel. Yorktown Hotel, that is nice. It is nice. You see, we obviously have a big budget if we're sending Seriously. our guests to it's the Yorktown Hotel. It's a historic hotel. It's like $300 a night. Oh my God! Yeah. Well, yeah. We're Visit doing a big the Yorktown. <laughs> <laughs> Yorktown Hotel open for bookings. I yeah. hear it's haunted. Oh well. I was don't there Don't send once. our guests to a haunted place. Well, well, ghosts are cool sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. I've known some cool ones. <laughs> Never really meant to ghost, but looking forward to it. You're still young. Too. Still young. Got youth on my side. They well, don't. They don't. <laughs> Not at all. Gonna have to cut that. Can't make fun of her age. She's like 82, though. No, I was talking about ghosts. Oh, ghosts. God damn it, I ruined it. <laughs> we'll we just cut that it. part. We should keep it. We should keep it. <laughs> we might keep it. 80 um, is the new 40. Still waiting on Doritos. Yeah. Haven't heard from them yet. We are now speaking directly <laughs> to Doritos. Ball is stealing your court, Doritos. Get at us. Seriously. We are like the snack food capital. Of America. Yeah. It would be stupid are. of you. Yeah. Not to endorse us. I'm sure Utz would love to endorse us. Yeah. Maybe we'll give them a call. Maybe we will. They have good pretzels and Maybe. other various assorted snack foods. All the salty things. All the diabetes. All the diabetes. Diabetes. Okay. <laughs> We're <laughs> going to stop talking. Name. Yeah. Here's Flint Hill. Adios. One, Bye. two, three, four. Who's gonna do the read? Here we go. So I've read in a couple of places that you were the first Afro-Cuban no, woman a poet. That's a lie. That's a lie, which denies the history uh -huh. of the country, of the whole country. Because have you heard about Jose Martí? No. No, Jose Martí is a very important writer. Forget about his story as a hero. 
get it. He was with Ruben Darío. Have you have you heard about Ruben Darío in Nicaragua? There was a, a very important literary movement, very praised, but the Spanish writers at the moment, like Antonio Machado, Ramón del Valle Clan, you know, the so-called generation of the 1898, for them it was really important, the modernism. It has nothing to do with modernity, because there is even a movement in Brazil called modernism, and it has nothing to do with the Spanish-American modernism. From Nicaragua, there were the big, big, big names, two important names, the most important figures, you know, of modernists. So uh, there is a tradition of uh, some critics, some historians, they stated that the independence of Latin America began with the modernists. Actually, there is a celebration of Ruben Darío. Ruben Darío is going to have a, a centennial of, of his death. He died in 1916. Well, were there any women before you that were publishing so widely? Yes, they were published and they existed. But we cannot be blind in terms of gender issues, in the sense that I cannot tell that I am the first Afro-Cuban to be graduated from the university. There were many other people yeah. since 19th century, although it was not like uh, like it happened to me. For instance, in 19th century, there was a uh, it was not an important woman, but it was a black woman. I, I, I was talking to you about Jose Martí because I wanted to talk about Juan Gualberto Gomez, who was a black man. His parents were slaves, but his parents bought his freedom, and he was sent to Paris to study. And I'm talking about 19th century. So at that time, at the end of 19th century, uh, Juan Gualberto was the best friend, Martí's best friend. He was a man of letters and so forth. But there was a black woman called Cristina Ayala. Cristina Ayala, who uh, wrote poems. She was a very humble person. She was against slavery. And because she wrote a sonnet against slavery, she was forbidden to enter into the university. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. So I'm saying these things because although people can or cannot or whatever, I am not the very first Afro-Cuban. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because it should be, it would be very selfish to say so, which is not true. Yeah. Well, a lot of places say it. No, I know, yeah, because yeah. it's a problem of the Afro-Cuban web. There is an Afro-Cuban web internet. Very simple. Uh -huh. and I don't know where they started to say those things. And it's very serious and very serious. It's like you speak about you speak about. Uh, let me tell you, Rita Dove, uh -huh. the great poet, and you don't talk about Phyllis Whitley. Yeah. In, in 18th century. And that's important. I have to have yeah. 
So you have to be very careful with internet. Mm -hmm. Information on internet can be tricky. Because in my case, for as I say, so there was when I was awarded with a national, Cuban National Award for Literature, I was born in 1944, and they put in the internet that I was 1930. <coughs> and they gave you 10 more years. That is a crime. How can anyone? <laughs> you know? So those things happen. I am not the first of I have many others that were not, they were silent uh -huh. and they were not yeah. included into the, the mainstream ontologies. So that's another thing. Yeah. I am known, they are not, because they are even unknown for the Cubans inside yeah. Cuba. You understand what I yeah. mean? It's, it, you, have, you have to talk about that. Yeah. But you, what you cannot tell, you cannot say, is I am the very first. Because it, it looks like, you know, I am... It's a selfish statement by myself, because if I am in interview, I'm saying, yes, yes, I am the very first. Yeah. I understand that. Well, I know you started writing when you were nine. You talked about that last night. But you know what inspired I started, you? I started to write. Well, I used to. My point was that there, there were many things that I could not talk with my parents. Uh -huh. And with other cousins or whatever, my aunts that I loved. So all things that, I, that were hidden, Things, that's why I was talking about the, the, the hidden things. I went to my little booklet and write them down. That's it. Uh -huh. So uh, the idea, I respect the idea of inspiration. Absolutely. I respect that. But I'm always quoting Ernest Hemingway. We used to say, and he stated in Havana many years ago, that he trusted in inspiration, but that he wanted inspiration when she will arrive, it will arrive while he's working, yes, while they're working. That's what I was thinking. That's the quote yeah. that I thought you were Inspiration will find me working. Yeah. Right? Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you are right. That's another a very important thing. You have to be writing, you have to be working. Uh -huh. It comes, okay, welcome. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I can take advantage of that. But literature is a work. Mm -hmm. Literature, you have to work. It is not that I'm in front of the sunset light. Yeah. And suddenly, you know. It hits you. <laughs> which happens. Uh -huh. Because, for instance, when you look at this day, we're looking through the window. I say, how oh, beautiful day. It's a sunny day. And I may write a poem. Uh -huh. But it doesn't mean that every time all, all sunset lights are going to inspire me. And if I write it, it's because I write well. Because the, mm -hmm. the first duty of a writer is to write well. I read in an interview on Bomb that you said that you Bomb, a very yeah, good interview yeah, by good Sapphire. Uh -huh. yes. 
Um, you said that your condition as a Cuban woman is present in your most important writings. Is everywhere, uh, at time, yes. Do you think that Cuba inspired you to start writing poetry? Well, not Cuba, my environment, which is a Cuban environment. Uh -huh. Because a country, for instance, yes, I'm a Cuban, I was born in Havana, I was born and raised. But a country, at the time I started to write, I was a child. A child does not have the perception of a country. For me, the only thing that was important was my family. And I think this works for many people and many writers. You are aware that you belong, you have a, papa, a father, a mother. But at that time, uh, I don't have a sense of a country. Although, for instance, in my second book, which is the most written and dedicated to Havana City, there is the ghost of Juan Alberto Gomez. But it's, it's, it's much family and not Cuba. Yeah. I know in the introduction of this book, Mirar Adentro, mm -hmm. I'll read the quote. You have to. I'll read the quote that I found in there. It says, Morejon has stated that she is not an active militant in any cause, not even that of her own ego. She does not believe that a woman's narrative or poetry exists. Rather, she believes that every literary or artistic creation fundamentally requires and reflects the human condition. So, does it bother you that your poetry is associated with so many political or feminist theories, even though this might not be intentional? But the point is that what I'm saying is that I am not a militant. Mm -hmm. I am not an activist. Or a feminist. A militant or feminist. Uh -huh. and as I am not a militant or an activist for civil rights, let's say, uh -huh. in terms of uh, race relations, I am a black woman, so I'm saying that go together with my experience. Mm -hmm my biographical experience, but I'm not an activist, because at that time, uh, you know, the feminist movement started very strongly, uh -huh. and I remember that was, I was invited to a, a conference in Mexico, where I met uh, Elena Boyanowska and Marco Glantz, and so forth, and there was a disappear journalist, very important, Alaide Fopa. Her name is uh, not Spanish, it's F-O-P-P-A. Alaide Fopa. Suddenly, someone kidnapped her. We don't know what happened, but she disappeared. And this conference was dedicated to all these things. There was a like uh, an association of female called FEM, F-E-M, mm -hmm. very important for all of us. Mexican history has proved that they were right. Because nobody could tell about Alaide Fopa, never more. But what happens in Juarez, you know, against women. Mm -hmm. They are organized and that's very, that's very strong. It's a very 
Turning point. That confirms, you know, what we were trying to to do with that organization, that association. Do you ever write poetry or essays in English, or only in Spanish? Only in Spanish because I don't live in a bilingual society. Cuba. Characteristics, of course. For instance, when you go to a Cuban ritual, you're going to, to listen to a prayer, you're going to listen to a song, and people repeat that song, but that is not a spoken language. You know the difference? Because in the French Caribbean, in the English Caribbean, they have created a Creole. In the Spanish Caribbean, there are not Creole. Not in Dominican Republic, not in Puerto Rico, not in, 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 in Cuba. We don't speak any other language than Spanish. With our accent, our, I mean, our phonetics, but, but never a, a second language or a third language around us. So do you think, I know I studied Spanish for a while and I had a lot of Spanish friends and I grew up kind of with the Spanish family so I learned a lot about the culture and, a, and the language and a lot of the things they would say, phrases and words didn't exactly translate over well to English. Like te amo and te quiero. In English we don't have two I love yous. So things like that. Do you think when your poetry gets translated, the meanings get lost sometimes? No, translation is always a challenge. Mm -hmm. But I, I do respect and praise a lot the work of translators. They are very important. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to read the, the Odyssey and the, Close the, gap. the you know, yeah. it's a Western civilization comes from translations and they could be good or not, but but through translations we got to, to this point. But I wanted to tell you that um, in the case of Puerto Ricans, there is a, a Cuban diaspora. Like there is a, a Puerto Rican diaspora. It's not the same to be born in New York and to be born in San Juan. Uh, and there are many writers who do write in English. Or in Dominican Republic, for instance, there is this uh, writer, female writer, Julia Alvarez. Julia Alvarez. I, I, I shared with her uh, panel in 1994 at Wellesley College, and I heard her say that Rosarito Ferrea, uh, unfortunately, dead recently. She passed away recently. And Julia Alvarez said, I came to this country at 10 years. My, my, my family took me from Santo Domingo to New York. All my studies, all my studies were in English. I cannot write in Spanish because I couldn't write in Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's a case also of a Haitian female writer, very important, Edwidge Danticat. She was brought 
by her Haitian family. They were Haitians, and they settled down in New York City. And she writes in English. We did have. Uh, I used to belong to. I still belong to a jury. A Caribbean award from the Caribbean, and we, we awarded a new stunt in the middle of a great controversy about someone, how can someone be a Haitian and write in English? And we defended her right, you know, we awarded her. That's the Caribbean. It's a situation, a linguistic, a linguistic situation we face. Uh -huh. You cannot deny that. So I'm not against because those are results of migrations, mm -hmm. results of many other historical processes. Sure. And someone, if you are brought to a country when you are two years old, you've got That's to that country. It's like you cannot choose your family, you cannot choose your parents. So suddenly you are in a place. Why not? But the content, it was a little bit the case of Caribuelos, which is older than Cristina Garcia, who wrote a bestseller called Dreaming in Cuba. And they did it in English. Mm -hmm. But all the factors, their gaze towards their characters, the situations, it's a situation of Cubans uh -huh. in the US. So it's important as a testimony, as a document. Yeah, of course. Do you still enjoy your poems when they're translated to English? Do they still feel like your poems? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Because they sound the so different. The ideal is that someone starts to learn Spanish. Uh-huh. <laughs> to read the originals. But it's very important to be translated. Because I am myself, I'm a translator. Uh -huh. I've done lots of translations. So I respect that. That's very important for the movement of literature. Mm -hmm. Who's your favorite author to translate? Yeah. I've translated so, so, so many poets. For instance, I have translated This is an Enfer, the Humble. In Saison Pingo by Mrs. Air. French poets. I have translated Cari French Caribbean. Yeah, French, French Caribbean. Caribbean. Also, Edouard Luisson. I have done. Yeah. It's been a, a company. Always uh -huh. have been the company. My translations, I, I love to do it. It's my pleasure to do it. Because when you translate, because I have translated making a living. It's true also. Uh -huh. But uh, translate by pleasure is the most beautiful thing that has happened to me always. Because I see something I really don't get. I translate and go to the publisher, a magazine, magazine. That's why I like the existence of magazines. I don't go to go to a magazine. Yes. I will never forget one of my favorite translations. I don't know who. 
super viejo, super viejo, de tu tierra. Marre published them in La Gaceta. In terms of if this writer writes in any language, is a writer of someone like people. Even in that panel, I remember that Rosario Ferre, she said, I'm doubting to keep on writing in Spanish because for the market, it's much better to write in English. And that was another point of discussion. As far as I know, Rosarito never published a book in English. Translated, but yeah. Well, I know when we came to dinner the other night, Travis was talking about the the book embargo with Cuba and the publishers. Uh, a lot of U.S. public publishers just signed a petition to lift that ban, um, and now President Obama is going to Cuba. Um, have you felt impacted at all by the inability to sell or buy books with the U.S.? Because a book is a merchandise. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like today, Barfield or the merchandise, so they are more filled of the Bible. The Bible touches everything. And once upon a time, I remember that there were some movements, very progressive movement in this country. Just to make understand the Congress or whoever, the culture should be out of the, the outreach of the environment. The books and records at the time, the, the records, the DVD didn't exist, but anyway. <coughs> Whenever you're ready. Thank you. Sure. A step was a step towards the, 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 the way we're walking now. Mm -hmm. I'm very sorry that I am in the U.S. in this tour because of Obama's visiting. I do believe it's very wise to accept that it's worthwhile. To have an embargo because during those days the cultural productions, the cultural merchandises were here. People used to tape, people, and then they started to advertise to make, and many musicians came abroad, came into this country, even with the embargo. Yeah. The case of Buena Vista Social Conference is a great. Proof There was an embargo, so what? So now we are in a very good way, we are in our way to establish understandings and a real dialogue for culture. The real dialogue for culture. Nancy Morejón es la, la cuenta de la televisión. Y, y ella, porque ella la veía. Ya está, ya está ahí también. Gracias. 
So you understand? Yeah. What I mean. Uh, I think, for instance, uh, my poems. You're welcome. I'll finish. Good. Yes. Uh, Thank you. I finished with the dance resort. Oh, you're done. Don't use it. Embroider. My, my, my poems were able to embroider. <laughs> mm -hmm. I used to come very often here and whatever. I did many things. And many important things for me happened. Like uh, my first anthology in, uh, in, in a very far away date, like 1985 by the Black Scholar Press, translated by Catherine Weaver, who's based, a very interesting writer and translator, based in Berkeley. And now, to this point uh, of uh, the edition done in Detroit by Wayne State University Press, the most important for me, the one which is which fulfill the dream of a poet to, to be studied and and advertised. I think it's, so I, I was how can I say I was moving through the the right circles of literature yeah. of art. Yes, that's very important. Do you have a favorite of your poem that you've written? No. No. That's like I I I didn't have children. Uh huh. What everybody say. Yeah. If you have two, yes. Whatever you have, all of them are your children, and you are you cannot have a preference. Uh huh. <laughs> but life sometimes puts you in front of me. one of the most uh, successful poems is Black Woman. Uh huh. That one. I love my master. You know that poem. Mm -hmm. Themselves have a an independent life mm -hmm. that an author cannot deny. I love the El Café de los Poetas. El Café de los Poetas, I love you that like one. it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I love it. Yes, it looks really beautiful. I wish that you would have read it in Spanish last night. Because it was oh, it's such I a different experience, yes, really? But I didn't want you know, to knock out the, the audience. You cannot uh, knock out the audience. If you have... Had you asked, asked her, she would have read it. Oh. I would have read it, but it is not the same. Yeah, sometimes poets are crazy, you know? <laughs> and they have, they have no notion of time. Uh -huh. And suddenly they read all they want. Because yeah. they love that and they knock out the audience. Yeah. I don't like it. I do, but you know, I respect time. Time of people who were, who got there, you know, they took a shower, they dressed, yeah. and they came to the reading. I cannot, you know, it's not fair. If you use it, I want it. Where was it? I should have. have read it. I should have. It's a very important poem for the special period. Mm-hmm. It's about Havana, right? Yeah, Havana. Yeah. My city. Mm -hmm. I like Madre as well. Madre. Um, yeah. I didn't read it because I thought it's already a, a, a common place. Uh-huh. I was reading the same thing, you know, I was sure that what I was going to read and I said, well, 
Yeah, because, because I read the, the one, the first I, I always read my poems to my mother, but the uh -huh. other one is That's less right. known. Okay. Coffee. The one that, yeah. Coffee is that such an important habit. Uh huh. For Latins. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people, yeah. you know, coffee. Coffee. So the mama brings coffee for far, uh -huh. far long seas. Yeah. Is it interesting to you to hear, after you read them in Spanish, to then hear them read aloud in English? Does it feel like a different experience, you know, because the rhythm is different, the syntax of the language? It's different. English and Spanish are completely different languages. But it doesn't matter. Shakespeare wrote in English. Uh -huh. <laughs> English is English. It has its poetry, its novels. It's, uh, I love it. So, would you say that you wrote that when you write poetry, you're more focused on the writing and the, you know, the creation of poetry than any. Um, themes or like political ideas or agendas. I have, I have political poems, but it's not, uh, you know, like uh, I do things, and sometimes you have uh, engagements in the sense that the publisher comes and, oh, do you mind? Do you have a poem dedicated to this? Do that. Sometimes I don't have. But if I do, if I'm in the mood for that, I write it. Especially because the magazine. Because poetry is very difficult to be placed. Like sometimes magazines have been always the great, great uh, friends of poets. Uh -huh. Because people sometimes uh, we cannot have a group, but there are important magazines in which you publish your stuff, and people read them. And also, magazines are very important. I think it's almost getting harder now to publish poetry. Would you agree with that? Because there's so much. It seems that the demand is in our in our times. All those languages are always, are always are a little bit exhausted. Uh huh. Especially, we will find a way, and your poet will find a way, because poetry exceeds not only in books. Fortunately for poets. Mm -hmm. A poem can survive in a song, a poem can survive in a poster, uh -huh. a poem it's but not a novel. So we have to know at, at, at some point you know, what is going to happen because paper is expensive and there are, there is uh, systems of internet and Facebook and Twitter, which are important languages of our time. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of alternative possibility to publish or to advertise your stuff mm -hmm. through these languages, and we should respect them. The point is that uh, those languages 
are too much democratic in the sense that they receive everything, even mistakes. Yes. Yeah. You understand? And it can so in that sense, yes, you have to be very careful. But oh, it's an internet. But you know, that you may find mistake. Mm -hmm. With the best will, not a bad one, the best will, but mistake. And scholars and researchers and so forth, they are the people who should engage themselves in order to get to an order, to get to discipline. Yeah. People like you, from your age, you're, you're stunned, so you have to know, have the idea that you have a wish to take about. So I think the internet provides a lot of opportunity, yeah. and it it can help to open doors, but it's, it's also it's overwhelming and, and risky, yeah, yeah, it's like an overflow of content all the time, and not all of it's legitimate, yeah. I am an analog, analog, analogic person. All my education comes from analogical world. There is the existence of internet. We, we take advantage of that. But it's not the same. I could not imagine myself writing a poem. I write directly sometimes on the computer, but I cannot imagine myself writing something for internet or writing yeah. something for, for Facebook. I don't have Facebook. I, I, I don't tweet. That's all the languages that I respect. But I'm not a part of them. I cannot use them. Uh -huh. Well, that's all that I have. And thank you. Yeah. So much. I know it took a, it took us three days to get this interview, but that's okay. Uh, no, no, no. Welcome back. What a journey it has been. A journey across time and lands foreign to us, thanks to the United States. Let's give a round of applause for the U.S. of A, baby. <laughs> Woo! America. America. And Cuba. And Cuba. I think we're going to be able to go to Cuba very soon. Yeah, I think things are getting better over there. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Good job. Barack. Anyway, Austin, do you want to talk about... How you oh, yeah. ruin everything? I do ruin a lot of things. And here's another for the list. Um, Flint Hill, who donated the song to us, lets us use it as a theme song. Just asks for one thing, that I save the name of the song on the podcast. It's like a pretty basic thing. Yeah, it's not a big request. And I tried, and I failed. I said the story so far, which is, which is like a shitty band who drop kicks girls and stuff. Yeah, I saw them at Warp Tour once. Yeah. Any band that's still going the warp tour, exactly. you know about that. But this song is actually called How the Story Goes. No, not even. Wow. I messed up again he, on my redemption. You are the worst. <laughs> it's called So the Story Goes. So meta. So the Story Goes. So the Story Goes. 
Yeah, I, I apologize, Flint Hill. I'm sorry. We corrected it now. People are going to your band camp. Flint Hill sucks. Is the band camp. Can we plug Nancy? Does she have anything to plug? I looked. She does not have a Twitter. Too cool for Twitter. If you type her name on Google, a lot of cool shit comes up. Well, there you go, Google. I know she wasn't too happy with the internet in the interview. She had some strong opinions on misinformation of the internet. We love the internet, but... I love the internet. Google, if you're listening. <laughs> Google. I think Another I can see, like, my face, Austin's face in those Googleos. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's money. Yeah. And what would we be doing? Eating Doritos. Yeah. So Google talk to Doritos. They're being <laughs> dicks about it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we gave them two whole weeks. Still haven't heard anything. Seriously. Mm. Come on, man. I mean, I'll even settle for like a cool ranch. My face on the yeah. cool ranch. I mean, I'm Arguably pretty. Arguably, <laughs> even better chip. Oh no! Don't get into that. Nacho cheese far superior. Ugh. And that was the day the podcast broke up. <laughs> It was going so well until Nicole voiced her opinions. Cool Ranch for Life. We should start a Twitter survey. Okay, and Nacho Cheese will blow it out the water, but we can do that. I don't... You want to get embarrassed. I don't believe. I mean, whatever, man. We'll see. (laughs) Well, on that note, let's hear those harmonicas, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Peace. On the streets, bye. (laughs)